podcast, a podcast about music, health, wellness, and activism that will help you to find balance between life as a musician and self-care through health and wellness. I'm your host, Jazzy Piggott, a tuba player, composer, certified personal trainer, writer, educator, and podcaster based in Baltimore, Maryland. In honor of the new year, the next two episodes, I will be discussing habits and habit change as many people are starting to form some sort of resolution for the new year. So in this episode, part one, I will cover exactly what habits are, why they're important, the seven categories of habits that people try to change, and ways to know yourself better through the four tendencies framework and other characterizations that will allow you to use the best habit change strategies for you. So these next few episodes are based on the knowledge I gained from Gretchen Rubin's book, Better Than Before. It was the first book I read of 2021. It's about habit change and was transformative in the way I thought about things throughout the year. So if you can, I strongly encourage you to get a hold of it, read it. I listen to an audiobook. You can find it if you have a public library near you, which basically everyone does. And you get a library card, you can get the Libby app where you can access hundreds or thousands of ebooks and audiobooks for free. So check that out if you haven't. Anyways, let's dive right into habits. So, what exactly are habits? Habits are defined as a routine or behavior that is repeated regularly and tends to be done subconsciously or a fixed way of thinking, willing, or feeling acquired through previous repetition of mental experience. So habits are largely subconscious, and it's very difficult to change them, both the good habits and the bad habits. They can be thoughts, actions, or dispositions. And then most of your habits form early on, and the longer the habit exists, the harder it is to change. I know I was reading another book on habit change called The Power of Habit, where they talked about how people will automatically resort to the habits that they had from when they were kids if they were left to their own devices. So that tends to be why a lot of people end up gaining back the weight after they lose weight, because they haven't solidified their new habits as much as they could, and they rely on the old habits that got them to be at that weight in the first place. So why exactly are habits important? Habits form because they allow you to go on autopilot. There are stories of people doing things out of habit without being fully conscious or aware of what they're doing. One of the most common examples of this is mindlessly eating potato chips where you're eating, but you don't realize you're eating, and then suddenly you reach into the bag and there's nothing left, and you're like, wait, was I just eating chips? I thought I was, and then you didn't realize you weren't actually paying attention. It's just a habit. Or even driving to work. You have that habit, so you kind of turn off all your thoughts, and you just go on autopilot to get there because you know the road so well. So when we go on autopilot, that 
is what we rely on at the end of the day because our stores of willpower have been used up at that point. Willpower is the power to consciously make choices that may resist habit that you have created. And this is finite. So it may be easy to say no to getting a cupcake in the beginning of the day, but by the end of the day, after you said no to getting like 50 cupcakes or something, finally, you're just going to be exhausted of using that willpower, and then you're going to give in. That's often why a lot of people go off the walls on their diets after dinner, because it's the end of the night and they've been trying so hard to resist all these food temptations throughout the day that they can no longer do that. There is power in this acting without thinking and having these habits, because it's freedom from making decisions. Because making decisions is honestly hard. You already know what you're going to do, so you just do it. You don't have to decide, you do it. And for that reason, habits make change possible by freeing us from decision-making and using willpower. So if you want to make a huge change in your life, the easiest thing to do that is to change the habits that you have surrounding that thing, which I'll get into more next episode about how to actually change the habits, but here we are. And then habits also give us comfort to fall back on in times of stress. It doesn't really matter whether they're good habits or bad habits. So if somebody has a habit of eating healthfully and they're going through a stress period, they're naturally going to continue to eat healthfully because they fall back into that habit. If they have a bad habit of smoking, when they're stressed, they're probably going to fall back to that habit of smoking as well. So that's something to keep in mind if you're trying to figure out how to navigate stress. If you're burnt out, like we talked about in episode 23. And finally, research estimates that at least 40% of our day is comprised of habits. But some people value habits more or less, so that might be more or less. A lot of people can maybe have 60% of their day with habits where they know they're going to do this at this time every single day to get this sort of result. And those are very disciplined people. And I'll get into those types of people when I talk about the four tendencies in a little bit. So when it comes to New Year's resolutions, Gretchen Rubin has this belief that there is seven essential changes that people want to make when they talk about habits. So they want to change the habits that will allow them to do these seven things. One is to eat or drink more healthfully. Two is to exercise regularly. Three is to save, spend, and earn more wisely. Four is to rest, relax, and enjoy. Five is to accomplish more and reduce procrastination. Six is to simplify, clear, clean, and organize things. And seven is to engage more deeply in relationships with ourselves, with others, with the world, spiritual, any types of relationships. And because habits allow for change, people will go out of their ways to seek out habits that will make these changes possible. Odds are some of these things are in your resolutions. And changing the habits surrounding that will make that a lot easier to stick to if you're somebody who can stick to resolutions. Which brings me to my next point. Before beginning the discussion of ways to change habits, we need to talk about how to determine what strategies may or may not work for you. 
So first, this goes into Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies framework that I have mentioned in several episodes because I just really love it and think it's very true. So if you still haven't taken the quiz, maybe this is the first episode you're listening to, or maybe you just still haven't taken the quiz, even though you've listened to all my episodes, please do it now at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. It will allow you to know yourself a lot better and determine which habit change strategies that I mentioned will be effective for you. So what exactly is Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies? So Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies framework breaks people up into four different tendency groups based on how they respond to inner and outer expectations. We have upholders who respond to both inner and outer expectations, obligers who respond to outer expectations but not inner expectations, questioners who respond to inner expectations but not outer expectations, and rebels who respond to neither inner or outer expectations. Majority of the population is comprised of obligers followed by questioners. Upholders and rebels are small segments of the population. Knowing your own tendency can help you know yourself better, and knowing other tendencies can help you to communicate with others much more effectively. I know of the friends and family members who I have gotten to take this quiz, and I now know their tendencies. I'm really able to talk to them in a much more effective manner and find ways to help them combat like little stumbling blocks they have and maybe changing their habits or doing things. And it's just easier to communicate in general because I know their tendencies. So the first tendency is upholder. I am an upholder. And that means that I have no problem getting something done if I want to do it or if somebody is expecting me to. This is a very foreign concept for a lot of people, but for me, it's a foreign concept to not be able to do that. I know before I picked up on this framework, it was really frustrating for me to understand why people can't just get out and just exercise. Because for me, it was, I want to exercise, and it's important to me to go do this, so let me go do it. And I got out and I exercised. But so many people can't do that, and they come up with excuses, or they're just like, oh, I'm not motivated right now. It's just, it was so foreign to me that people couldn't just do it, and I thought that they were making excuses. However, that just meant that they couldn't respond to the expectations that they put on themselves as readily as I could. And upholders are also known for being rigid because we follow rules and often don't allow others to sway us from our own routines, schedules, or plans. I know I fall victim to that very, very easily. And especially with my family, for instance, because my mom and my brother are both obligers, It sometimes causes us to butt heads because, oh, I have this thing planned in my schedule, so I'm going to do that right now, but then they're expecting me to do something, and because they respond to outer expectations more readily, they're surprised when I don't do the same. Because it's in my calendar, I'm going to go do it. I'm not going to change what I had planned because something else happened. Within each tendency, you lean one way or the other, so... I'm an upholder who leans towards questioners, so that means I respond more to my inner expectations than to others' outer expectations. Anyways, so those are upholders. 
The next tendency is the obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet their own inner expectations. They often need forms of external accountability in order to get anything done. My mom's an obliger, as are Kaylee and my brother Gregson, who I interviewed in episodes 11 and 14, respectively. Kaylee had mentioned external accountability through her need to sign up for races in order to keep up her running, and Gregson mentioned his external accountability through needing friends to play basketball with in order to get himself to exercise. A lot of times, obligers think that this need for outer accountability is a sign of weakness, but it's not. It's just who you are. Not everyone can respond to inner expectations and be expected to do that. So just because you can't doesn't mean you're lesser than any of the other tendencies. It's just something you need to work with. So if you are trying to make a habit, you need to figure out a way to be accountable to somebody or something. Whether maybe you can be held accountable by a calendar. Or maybe that's you have to pay for a personal trainer because that means you're putting money into something. Or maybe you just need an accountability buddy. For obligers, it is very, very important to find some sort of accountability outside of yourself in order to make sure you can create new habits or change for the better. So next we have questioners. Questioners readily meet inner expectations but resist outer expectations. If they are convinced that something makes sense to them, they will do it. And as the term questioner suggests, they tend to ask a lot of questions in order to get a true reason or justification. So my dad is a questioner, as is Andre from episode 12. It is not enough for somebody to ask a questioner to do things without giving a justification, because if they don't see a reason to do something, they just won't do it. And then sometimes presenting an outer expectation can actually make a questioner less likely to do an activity they had planned to do if they don't have actual justification to do the activity. In my opinion, I think questioners are the best tendency to interact with because all you have to do is explain the reasoning, the rationale behind what you need to get done, and it'll probably get done if they agree with it. So keep that in mind if you're interacting with the questioner in your life. And then finally, we have rebels. Rebels resist both outer and inner expectations, which kind of seems impossible, but they do it. So if they or somebody else expects them to do something, they just won't do it. My ex was a rebel. This makes things very difficult for rebels who are trying to change their habits. And the only way to get a rebel to do something is if they feel like it. No one's expecting it from them. Or if it's linked to their identity. They identify as a person who does this activity. And just like questioners, asking a rebel to do something will probably backfire as they will now be less likely to do what was asked because they feel there's an expectation for it. So if you are a rebel, fall into that sense of identity. If you want to exercise... Say now, I'm an athlete, and athletes exercise, so I will exercise. You're not necessarily creating an inner expectation, you just know you're an athlete, and that's something that athletes do. And then, if you feel like it, is also something to consider. 
because rebels will do things if they feel like it because nobody's expecting them to do it. They're not expecting themselves to do it. They just feel like doing it in the moment. So if you're talking to a rebel, it's important to be, oh, can you do this task for me? If it makes sense to you, I mean, I don't really care. And then it will be more likely to get done than actually asking them to do the task. So those are the four tendencies, upholders, obligers, questioners, and rebels. And just to recap, a tendency is a tendency. It's not a hard and fast rule. Some people are like, oh, well, I don't always respond to this because of this. Yeah, you're not always going to do everything that your personality warrants. A lot of people will have protest behavior, just like questioners and rebels do. I know for me, if somebody asked me to sweep the floor and I was going to sweep the floor, I get really upset because I'm like, why did you ask me to do the thing I already planned on doing? And then as an act of rebellion, I won't sweep the floor because I'm just kind of pissed off at that point. So yes, your tendency is a tendency. And you will sometimes act outside of that tendency, and that's okay. But... It's just a way to base off what your baseline is. If you know you can respond to inner and outer expectations, it will be easier to find some sort of habit change strategy that will get both inner and outer expectations out of you. And then just like how every tendency is not a rule, people will lean towards one of the connecting tendencies. Like I mentioned before, I'm an upholder who leans towards questioner. I'm going to prioritize and respond much more to my inner expectations than the outer expectations, even though I respond to both. So figure out your tendency, read the little blurb that Gretchen Rubin has at the end of her quiz, and go from there. Because knowing your tendency will allow you to, again, make sure you're choosing the best habit change strategies for you. So in Better Than Before, that's only one of the areas that Gretchen Rubin touches on as far as classifying yourself. She also mentions that there are other questions that you need to ask yourself in order to help with habit change. Because if you try to make your habits something that doesn't fit with what your archetype is, you're going to have an issue. So the first one is, are you a lark or are you an owl? That means a morning person or a night person. If you're a morning person, you're not going to want to start studying at 9 o'clock at night in order to make a consistent studying habit. You're probably going to fail because you're going to be really tired and want to go to bed. In the same way, if you're not a morning person and you're trying to start an exercise habit, maybe scheduling exercise to be the first thing in the morning is not the best idea because you're not going to be waking up early to do it. It's easy to kind of sleep in or push it off because of something else. So are you a lark or an owl? And most people fall somewhere in between. I know that I do because I feel like naturally I end up being an owl, but I can make myself a lark if I need to be because I have been getting up around 6 a.m., uh, for, well, most of the summer and then the beginning of the semester. It's kind of slipped to about 7 a.m., but, you know, it's still early. It's still early for me. So now that I have figured out that I can do that and I can actually be pretty productive in the morning when I put my time to it, I know last year I was really diligent about making my workouts the first thing I did in the morning. So 
I would wake up 7.30 a.m. I would start my workout every single day, whether that be a walk or lifting weights. I would just work out because it was 7.30 and it was what I needed to get done before moving on. And then I also realized that in order to wake up early and do those things, I needed to make sure I went to bed on time, which is why I adjusted my bedtime to make sure I go to bed earlier, which means that I can't really put much of the things I need to get done in the evening because I'm going to be winding down at that time. I shouldn't be thinking. Right now, I'm going against myself and I'm recording this at 10 o'clock at night. I don't know if you can tell how tired I am, but I'm pretty tired. I, I ran a half marathon today. Just for fun, you know, why not? But yeah, so it's 10 o'clock at night, really going against my archetype right now. I still have to wake up early in the morning. It's fine. I'll edit this in the morning. You know, you get to see my wonderful editing. You don't know what happens behind the scenes. That's what happens behind the scenes. Usually I record these at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. and then I edit them for the rest of the morning. Well, I don't have that option right now. So Recording it tonight, editing it really early tomorrow, and yay, you'll get this on Thursday, right before the New Year's. So, happy New Year. Anyways, okay, going back on track, sorry, my ADHD medication also wears off at this time. But the next question is, are you a marathoner or a sprinter or a procrastinator when you need to get things done? So a marathoner is somebody who will start as soon as they get the deadline. They have a paper due at the end of the semester. As soon as it's assigned, they're going to start working little by little and just make sure they get the whole thing done over the course of the semester. Then we have sprinters. Sprinters are people who will get a deadline and then they will purposefully push themselves to not start working on the project until maybe the week before it's due or a few days before it's due. And then we have my friends, the procrastinators. So if you're a procrastinator, you're probably thinking, oh, I sound like a sprinter because I wait till the last minute to get things done. No, you're not a sprinter. I'm sorry. You're a procrastinator because procrastinators pretend to be sprinters, but they're not sprinters because of the level of guilt associated with starting late. You're not planning on starting late. You just happen to start late. So sprinters plan, procrastinators just kind of drift. I know I'm a procrastinator and I've been trying to get better at it, but I realize that accepting the fact that I'm a procrastinator and accepting the fact that I know everything will get done when it needs to get done has allowed me to just feel a lot less guilty about being a procrastinator. And without that level of guilt in my procrastination, it makes procrastinating a whole lot easier and less stressful, even though I know it's not the best strategy for me to have. And I've tried countless times to be a marathoner where I start things early. It usually happens. I'll start things early for like a day. I'll write two sentences and be like, yeah, I started my paper. And then I don't do anything up until like a week before it's due. And then I'm like, oh, no, what did I do? And I'll pretend to be a sprinter because, yeah, let me just start that later. Yeah, that's fine. But then I can't be a sprinter because it's going to be constantly on my mind. Like, oh, no, I do have this paper that's going to be due in three weeks. Uh, I need to start this now rather than just kind of letting it be. So, yes. Figure out whether you're a marathoner, a sprinter, or a procrastinator to get things done. This will help you to change habits related to your work style. Three, 
Are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer? So overbuyers are people who buy too many things. These are people who, oh, this thing's on sale. Let me stock up and buy five of them. Whereas underbuyers are people who don't buy much at all. These are people who will let things kind of be run to the ground before they go out and get things. I know my dad's an underbuyer, and <laughs> consequently we had a lot of things that should have been replaced before they broke that weren't replaced, and then was like, Dad, this is actually not functional now. Can we get a new one? So yes, are you an underbuyer or an overbuyer? So this is important because it lets you know whether or not you should spend money on a habit. If you're an underbuyer, you're probably not going to want to drop $200 on getting a set of weights. Whereas if you're an overbuyer, maybe that is something that's going to be good for you. So figure out if you're an overbuyer or underbuyer in order to know whether or not you should spend money on your habit. Next. Are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover? A simplicity lover is somebody who appreciates things that are simple. They don't like having too many choices. If something is the way it is, it's the way it is. Whereas an abundance lover likes having options. These are the people who they want to see 50 flavors of ice cream on the menu because that's just what they need. I feel like I personally am a simplicity lover because I get choice anxiety when I have too many choices. So asking yourself this question can help you with habit change because knowing whether or not you're a simplicity lover or an abundance lover can help you decide which strategy might be good for you because one of the strategies, the strategy of convenience or inconvenience, relies on what's around you. So if you're an abundance lover, keeping a ton of things around you because you just need that will help you strengthen a habit, whereas if you're a simplicity lover, just kind of Keeping one thing or avoiding things will help you change that habit. Next, do you prefer to start things or to finish things? So this can go for projects. I know some people, like me, like to really, really, really start projects. Like a lot of projects. So they tend to start things, but they don't finish things. Whereas other people are a lot more satisfied when they finish the projects that they've started because they'd rather have one project that they go through with completion than a bunch of other projects started. Knowing if you're a starter or a finisher can help you change habits and the thoughts of goal setting, because maybe your goal is to do five things by the end of the week, whereas maybe if you like to finish things, your goal could be get these five things done by the end of the week. So it's all just reframing things in different ways. The next question is, do you prefer things that are new or do you prefer things that are familiar? If you prefer things that are new, you're probably going to be better off if you do purchase something, if you're also an overbuyer. And to start a habit, because now you're in a new, you have a new object to help you with your habit. Or maybe you choose a new surrounding in order to get things done. Or where you start your habit, you make sure it's something entirely new because you like new things. Whereas if you're familiar, or you like things that are familiar, you don't want to start a habit based on a ton of new things because you want things that are similar. So you might start very, very slowly. So maybe instead of 
starting a whole running routine. You just start walking in the middle of your day because you're keeping your day the same. You're just adding a walk in for five minutes after every meal or something. So do you prefer the new or the familiar? Next, are you promotion focused or prevention focused? So this is another example of two things that are on opposite sides of the same issue. So a promotion focused person is going to focus on promoting a new behavior. They're going to want to start a new behavior. They're promoting the behavior. Whereas a prevention person is somebody who wants to avoid a certain behavior. So this is, I want to do more weightlifting because I think it's important to add to my schedule. Whereas somebody might be like, I want to reduce my cardio, but keep my exercise up in order to not come with health effects. So maybe that will be through weightlifting. That wasn't a great example, but it's, it's, are you going to stop doing something or are you going to do more of another thing? So promotion focused or prevention focused. And then the final thing is, do you prefer big steps or small steps? So do you want to take a big leap and go for it? Or do you want to start very small? I guess this kind of goes into what I just said about preferring the new or the familiar. So which is easier for you? Do you want to go and jump headfirst into something? Or do you want to just kind of ease your way into the water? Because then there are several habit strategies, habit change strategies that will work for you. Maybe in the form of like the lightning bolt strategy, whereas for somebody else, it could just be the small, small change strategy. So just to recap, these questions are one, are you a lark or an owl? Two, are you a marathoner, sprinter or procrastinator? Three, are you an overbuyer or underbuyer? Four, are you a simplicity lover or abundance lover? Five, Do you prefer to start things or finish things? Six, do you prefer the new things or the familiar things? Seven, are you promotion-focused or prevention-focused? And eight, do you prefer small steps or big steps? Once you know how you can characterize yourself according to these questions, you will have more insight to the habit change strategies that may work best for you rather than taking generic advice. Everyone is different, so listening to someone else's recommendation for something may not necessarily resonate with you. Just because it worked for one person does not mean it's a magic cure that will work for you. So next week, I will get into the many, many habit change strategies. So between now and then, take the tendencies quiz and then think of the answers to these questions so you can know yourself better in order to get the most out of those tips. As always, if you have any questions, reach out to me over email or through social media. Social media will be covered in the outro. My email is piggitjasmine at gmail.com. That is one G and two T's. So, yes, I look forward to going over habit changes next week with you. Possibly, most likely not at 10 o'clock at night, so I'll be a little more energetic, but it's fine. So next, I'm going to move on to Roses, Buds, and Thorns. So Roses, Buds, and Thorns is a segment I do on the show to cultivate a level of authenticity and gratitude into 
my week because I'm not perfect. And then when I'm depressed, not everything is actually going horribly in my life. And I have things to look forward to and be thankful for. So a rose is something good that happened. A thorn is something bad that happened. And a bud is something you're looking forward to. I always start with my thorn because I always like to end on a happy note. So my thorn this week, my Christmas was very, 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 very disappointing. And I could have handled it a little bit better, but I didn't handle it quite too, too great. Because as I mentioned in last week's episode, because it was my rose or bud last week, um, I really love Christmas. It's my favorite day of the year, and I'm always excited to have a Christmas party and to see everybody and just wear like the nice sweater and see the Christmas lights, look at the Christmas tree, listen to Christmas carols. I just love Christmas. But this year was not that because of COVID. And it was kind of really saddening for me because I did drive all the way home and I didn't really get to enjoy things the way I thought I would enjoy them. So that's my thorn this week. My Christmas was disappointing, but I should keep in mind that I did get to spend time with my family, which I wouldn't have done otherwise because my other option was sitting at home in my apartment by myself because I live alone, uh, but I'm very content here alone. So that that's the drawback. But yes, being with family was great even though we didn't do everything I wanted to do. My rose for this week is Andre is in town for the week. So Andre was on episode 12. I mentioned him earlier as he's a questioner. Yeah, so he's in town for the week. He's now my boyfriend. So I'm very excited. It'll be great. We're going to do stuff. We're going to host a New Year's party with a few people from my quintet. It won't be a big party. We're all vaccinated. It's fine. Um, Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Or I'm very excited for that. It is my rose. It's not my bud. And then my bud. I am very much looking forward to the new year. So the day I'm releasing this, I think tomorrow is New Year's Eve. So happy New Year's Eve. But I am very excited for the new year. I'm making a list of 22 goals that I'm setting for 2022, and I'm starting off the year with the Whole30 plan. The Whole30 plan is a nutrition plan where you basically eat only whole foods, no grains, no artificial sweeteners, no natural sweeteners, no sweeteners whatsoever. Um, Yeah, so I am just like ready to do that. I'm doing it with Andre, which will be fun, but um, it's just kind of to reset my body in order to see what foods I might be intolerant to when I add them back in. But yes, so very excited for the new year. 2021 was a great year for me. I think 2022 can also be a great year for me because things are already starting to be good. Hopefully they will continue to be good. Yes, looking forward to 2022. So yeah, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Share it with your friends and family. I'd really appreciate it because, again, exponential growth. So next week, we'll hear more about habit change. Hopefully that'll be a better episode. Uh, Like I said, I'll be less tired. But yeah, so 
have a great week and a great end to your 2021 uh, or I guess 2020 part two, if you really feel like 2020 never ended, because that's kind of how I feel like sometimes. So yes, happy new year and have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Harmony and Healing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Harmony and Healing Podcast. And you can find me personally at the Jazzy Tubist on both Facebook and Instagram. And at my website, jasminepiggit.com. I'll see you next Thursday. Thank you.